1 Peter chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 1 Peter chapter 4. This morning, I'd like to ask you a question. When you're making big life decisions, when you, you have to make some big decisions, what's the first question you start asking? Do you ask yourself, what do I want to do with my life? Do you ask others, what do you think I should do with my life? Or do you go to God in prayer and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's your will for for me and in this situation? You see, I think for the Christian, the will of God should be priority and, and preeminent and, and, and should be first place, the central thing that we're seeking out in our lives. Not so much, what do I want to do or what do my parents want me to do or what do other people think I should do? But we should be asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? What did you put me here in this situation on the planet right now in this relationship around these people? What it, What is it? That you want me to do. And so today we're going to look at living for the will of God. Because the scripture over and over calls Christians to be those who live not for their own wills. But those who live for the will of God. And you see this is how Jesus Christ lived his life. He said he came down not to from, from heaven to earth, not to do his own will, but do the will of him who sent him. In John 4, 34, Jesus told his disciples, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. That's what Jesus said. Jesus prayed when he was wrestling with what the father had called him to do, namely to suffer and die on the cross, he prayed, father, if there's any way he struggled, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus taught his disciples that when we pray, when you and I pray, one of the the main focuses of our prayer life should be your will be done, O God. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You see, I think this is the best way to live our lives so that we can have little regret at the end of them. So we can be able to say like Jesus did in John 17, said, Father, I have finished the work you've given me to do. I have glorified you here on earth. And so today, I want to ask you, in making life decisions and and, and the decisions that are set before you, are you saying, God, what do you want? Are you saying, what do I want? And so let's look at 1 Peter 4. And Peter tells us, how to live for the will of God. He gives us 30 plus imperatives saying, do this, live like this. And he gives us the why. He gives us theological basis. He's not merely a just do it kind of guy. Just do it, just get her done. He's a just do it and here's why you should do it. He gives us the basis behind it because that why, that theological why, that motive, that gospel motive will sustain us when what we're doing in the will of God gets difficult, when there's hardship and suffering involved. 
we need to know the why. So let's pray and we'll read 1 Peter 4. Father, thank you that we have a lamp into our feet and a light into our path in your word. In this dark world, we have guidance. We have words that have explicitly expressed what you want for our lives, what your design for us, what your will is for us. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who delight to do your will. I pray, God, that this morning that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that we would find your will for our lives to be good, acceptable, and pleasing, and perfect. God, let your will be done here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter 4, starting in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So here's the big idea this morning. Christians are called to faithfully live for the will of God in their lives so that God might be glorified in them. Christians are called to faithfully live for the will of God in their lives so that God might be glorified in them. We're going to look at five things that God's will involves and requires. One of them is... God's will involves suffering. This is a theme throughout the book of 1 Peter that we keep coming back to over and over again because the church that he was writing to, the churches that he was writing to, were suffering. They were being persecuted. They were being displaced. They were being thrown in the prison. They were being killed. They were experiencing what Peter called a fiery trial that was to try them. 
And so oftentimes when godly saints find themselves in the midst of some kind of suffering, whether it's a sickness or whether it's opposition or whether it's great loss, loss of a loved one, loss of property, oftentimes we ask ourselves, why? What did I do wrong? Am I doing your will, God? Am I in the center of your will? And the Bible teaches us that even when we're in the center of God's will, we're doing God's will, we're honoring him, we're pleasing him, we're going to experience some measure of suffering and trials and challenging times. Now, one, adversity and trials and suffering is just a part of this broken world that we live in. Okay, and we're going to talk more about that next week as we look at verses 12 through 19. But suffering and, and brokenness is just a part of this world because mankind rebelled against God, sinned against God, and said, basically, God, we don't need you. We got this. And they brought, Adam and Eve brought suffering into this world. And you and I have done the same thing in rejecting God's will for our lives in various ways. We've sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we live in, in the midst of a fallen, broken world. And oftentimes, our suffering or trials comes um, not only because of our own sins, but also because of the sins of others, the things that other people do to us and have done in this world. But we, as God's people, can be right in the middle of God's will, doing his will, doing what pleases him, and still experience suffering. This was the case for Jesus. If there's anybody who did the will of God while they were on this earth, it was Jesus, and he did it perfectly. That's what he came to do. He came, he only did what pleased the Father. And he only said what pleased the Father. This is how he lived his life. As you read the Gospel of John, he was always seeking to honor the Father. And yet, in the Father's will for him, in God's, the Father's lot and plan for Jesus' life, there was a cup of suffering that he was to embrace. And it was not purposeless or meaningless. It was a cup of suffering that he purposefully took for you and I so that salvation might come to us and to those who believe. So, since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. This is an armor Paul or Peter is describing. This is a way that we can be prepared. This is the way that we can uh, have some defense when suffering does come. When, when trials do come, when oppositions do come. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay, so, so we can expect that. And Christians throughout the world experience different levels of this. It varies depending on where you live and, and what your circumstances are surrounding you. In many Muslim nations, it's... Very dangerous to be a Christian and to profess Christ and to get baptized. You can lose your life, lose your family, be ostracized, marginalized for being a follower of Christ. Here in, in the States, we, we get ostracized and marginalized, marginalized as well, or ridiculed or made fun of or, 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 or called goody two-shoes or whatever. There's, there's various ways that we experience some of this, but not as intense as other places in the world. Doing the will of God involves suffering. 
Verse 2 is where I get the title of the sermon, um, that we're to live the rest of the time in the, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And as we're living in the will of God, we should arm ourselves with this mindset that there's going to be some level of suffering. Jesus calls this the blessed life. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. It's a part of following Jesus. Jesus describes the way that leads to life as a narrow, difficult way. Following Jesus is not the path of least resistance. It's swimming upstream like a fish swimming upstream when all the other fish are going the other way. God calls us living in the will of God is like that, that salmon or that fish that's swimming upstream while all the other fish are going the other way in the passions of the flesh, human passions. Peter says to have this mindset. Go back to chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Peter says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good if it be God's will. And so you and I have to have a category for suffering in the will of God because the Bible gives us a theological category for that. Okay, First Peter 4.19 as we'll look at next week. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, I understand this is difficult for us to wrestle with. And I do want to I want to clarify that I don't think that God gets particular pleasure in seeing us hurt or experience pain. But I think he is pleased and honored. When his children value him and value the kingdom of God more than any comforts in this life, any riches in this life, any fame in this life. And they're willing to experience hardship and suffering for what matters most. This momentary light, light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. And so Wayne Grudem says this about this verse 1 Probably puzzling to some. Peter says this. He says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, the Bible tells us even as Christians, there's this ongoing struggle with sin. Okay, so we got to wrestle with, we got to make sense of what does this mean? Having those who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. Wayne Grudem, theologian, says that it, it, it rather means have made a clear break with sin has most definitely acted in a way which shows obeying God, not avoiding hardship, is the most important motivation for his or her action. When obeying God and following God and doing God's will is the most important thing in your life, you, you will experience some suffering and some hardship and some trials. Peter says, whoever suffered in the flesh, that's, that goes, connects back to suffering for doing what's right, not suffering for, for doing what's wrong, uh, has ceased from sin. They've made a clear break with sin. Now, not everybody who suffers in this life 
makes a clear break with sin. That doesn't apply for everybody. Actually, some people, as a result of suffering, their hearts get harder and they get they get resentment towards God and they blame God. Why did you let this happen? And they indulge more and more in darkness as a result of their suffering. Others who are Christians, who are born again, who have this new life on the inside, God uses suffering to mold and shape them into the image of Jesus, to develop their character, to make them stronger, more godly, more Christ-like. And that's something that they're going to carry into eternity. The next thing is that living for the will of God involves being set apart. Okay, Peter has already talked about this in chapter 1 and chapter 2. This is a theme that he connects uh, throughout his letter, that the people of God are to be set apart, to be holy, that, that they're to be distinct. They're not to live like the Gentiles. Verse 3 enforces this. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In other words, you've sinned enough before you were Christian. Okay? You've, you've, whether, whether you became a Christian at seven years old or whether you became a Christian at, at 70 years old, you've sinned enough, okay? So don't, don't continue to go back in that lifestyle that the Gentiles do. These are particularly the Gentiles who do not know God. Uh, the Gentiles doing what they want to do. And he describes what that is. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Sorry, parents. I know this is family day. With respect to this, we are surprised that they are surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So when I became a Christian, there was a group of people that I quit hanging out with. Because I was doing wrong with them. I was getting high and drunk and hanging out with these guys that I shouldn't be hanging out with. And then when I became a Christian, I stopped hanging out with these guys, this crowd, because my whole trajectory in life had changed. I was going in a different direction, so I wasn't going to hang out with these other guys who were headed in a different direction than I was. And this is really important because who we run with will affect where we're going. And they will influence us. He who walks with wise men will be wise. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. Young people, this is important for you to hear. Choose your friends wisely. Choose wise friends, godly friends. Friends who want to do what's right and what's good. And when we become Christians, we, we should live separate lives, lives that are different. Not that we don't talk to people who are living these lives. We should share the gospel with them and love them and try to help them and try to tell them the truth that they don't have to live like this. They don't have to let the enemy still kill and destroy in their lives. But they're, they're surprised. He says, with respect to this, they're surprised that you don't join them any longer. Something's happened. Something's different about Larry. He's not, he's not laughing at those jokes we used to tell. Something's different about Brock. He's not going to, going to the bar with us. He's not, he's not hanging out with us like he used to, doing those things that he or she used to do. So we don't join them in their sin. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He was hanging out with sinners, but he wasn't indulging in their sin. He was in the world and he calls us to be in the world. 
but not of the world. To live lives that are set apart, holy for him. And as I've emphasized before in this letter, being set apart and holy for God is not only what we don't do. So here he mentions what we don't join them in doing, but it's also what we're set apart for. And today we're talking about being set apart to do the will of God, to do what God wants us to do. And they malign you. They they say things about you when you don't join them. Now notice the contrast here between sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, and God's will. What do you want to do? Do you want to waste your life in this these meaningless activities that destroy you? That destroy those around you? Or do you want to live for something meaningful? The scripture tells us in Romans 12 too. That God's will is good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. It's pleasing. It's good. It's good for us to do what God wants. God is our designer. He created us. He knows what's best for our lives. And we would do well to trust in him. And his word and not lean on our understanding concerning what we think is best for our lives. Living for the will of God requires sobriety and self-control. Notice verse 7. He says that the, uh, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You see, to, to live for God's will, we got to know what God's will is. And to know what God's will, we need to, we need to think about it. We need to be seeking it. We need to, we need to pray about it. We need to read the scripture. The scripture reveals God's expressed will. We know what God wants for us clearly through scripture. Many folks get caught up in, in the details of God's will in their life and they're concerned about more minor decisions. And, and I think, here's a key I think that's important to finding God's will for our lives. If we will obey what is clearly revealed in Scripture, if we will obey what's clearly revealed in Scripture, do what we know God has already told us to do, that we'll be more likely to find all those secondary things that God wants to lead us into, okay? Like we think about job, wife, school, husband, where we live, what car to drive, buy, what house to buy. And so all these other little things that are periphery, they're, they're secondary. And if we'll focus on the main things of what God wants us to be doing, then all those other things I think will fall in place. At least that's been my experience. I'm just going to trust God with all these other things that I want and that I desire to have. And I'm going to focus in on what scripture has clearly revealed about his will for my life. And I'm going to give myself to it. And God's going to work all the other stuff out. Amen. And so Peter says that the end of all things is at hand. Okay. In light of the reality that the end is coming. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, remember who's writing this. This is the one who was with Jesus when Jesus told him to watch and pray in the garden. Jesus is about to go to the cross. This is one of the most difficult moments of Jesus's earthly life. And he tells his disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And what did the disciples do? Include Peter, James, and John, the three close disciples who went with them. Did they watch and pray? 
they were snoring. They fell asleep. They, 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 they must have been tired and weary and they just probably sat down. They got comfortable and all of a sudden, you know, maybe they started a prayer or two. Lord, help. You know, maybe, maybe, and I'm sure you can relate. I'm sure you can relate to falling asleep in prayer. So Peter says one of the, one of the things that will help us to, to give ourselves to prayer is to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, Peter's used this, used this language already. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded and set your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter connects this having our minds prepared and having a sober mind with having a hope in what's to come. So if we're going to hope well, be filled with hope, and set our hope fully upon the grace that's to come, then our minds need to be fully engaged. God calls Christians not to check out their minds when they become Christians. We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to be sober-minded. So anything that takes away from you and I being sober-minded, we need to cast it off and not be lulled away, lulled asleep by anything that would cause us to not be sober-minded. And here in verse 7, 1 Peter 4, 7, the purpose of uh, being sober-minded and self-controlled is so that we could be effective in prayer, alert in prayer, not, this is the opposite of being asleep, spiritually slumbering, being lulled away by Netflix and, and entertainment and the comforts of this life. That's a lot more easy to do than to be alert and ready to pray, to be engaged in the spiritual battle. Oftentimes prayer is difficult. It's difficult to press through because our flesh just wants to veg and sleep and eat and be entertained. But God calls us to be engaged in prayer. Wayne Grudem says this about uh, this word sober, uh, sober-minded. Be sober forbids not only physical drunkenness, but also letting the mind wander into any other kind of mental intoxication, addiction, which inhibits spiritual alertness or any laziness of mind, which lulls Christians into a sin through carelessness. For most of us in here, it's not alcohol or drugs that intoxicate our mind and cause us to be spiritually asleep. For most of us, it's, it's cares of this life. Just not even bad things, you know, like shopping. Like we got to go get the food. We, we got to go get some kit clothes for the kids. It's getting cold now. Um, we got to do this or do that. We got We got this birthday party to go to. And we, we let all, we got a trunk or treat tonight. We got to get set up for the trunk or treat tonight. And we let all these good things distract us from having minds and hearts that are engaged and prepared for the return of Jesus. When Jesus comes back, I don't want to be caught up with busyness, even doing good things. I want to be caught up doing his will. And here that involves being prayerful, living lives of prayer, watching and praying. Jesus in Luke 21, in light of his return, tells his people to be prayerful, be prayerful. 
Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled for the sake of prayer. In living for God's will, verse, verse 8, living for God's will also involves showing love and hospitality to others. Living for God's will involves showing love and hospitality for others. Above all, loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then he goes into the gifts. So you got these gifts that God's bestowed upon your life, and you can love people with those gifts. Uh, you can show hospitality. Those of you who show hospitality, do it without grumbling. Don't resent the sacrifice, the time that you have to put in to show hospitality to someone. Don't resent the mess that your home is left in after you have a great time having friends over because you've shown hospitality. See it as a sweet sacrifice to the Lord. As honoring him. Don't resent the, 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 the money that you have to pay for the food or the resources that are involved with showing hospitality. God's people are to be a hospitable people because God has been hospitable towards us. He has welcomed us in and he's lavished grace upon us and he's given to us freely. And so we should be conduits of grace into the lives of others. And by the way, I think this is an effective form of evangelism. Many of us don't like to do evangelism like I do on the dart train. We're, we're just the Friday before last, I, I preached to the whole train. Kendall was with me. It was so fun. So excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Keith. I'm a Christian and I have some good news to share with you guys. And I shared the gospel and it was, it was amazing. It was encouraging to me because people were listening and most of them were not Christians. And one of them responded, who responded to the gospel. But, but most Christians I know aren't going to do that. They're not going to stand up there. And I'd love to bring anybody up, up to the dart train and do that with me. But most Christians I know don't do that kind of outreach. But you know what? Every Christian can show some hospitality by simply inviting a neighbor over, a coworker over, an unbeliever. Invite them over for a meal. Just love on them. And then try to have a conversation about Jesus. Does that sound too hard? We can all do that. And I think that is an effective way to make an impact. But we're to show hospitality to everyone, especially the people of God, especially the church. And then we're to show love. We're to show, have earnest love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. If I were to boil down what living for the will of God is into one word, I might choose the word love. If I were to boil down what it means, if I had to choose just one word, choose one word of what it means to live for the will of God, I might just choose love. Because Jesus said that the greatest commandment, when he was asked about the scriptures, the Old Testament, he says the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two, all the law and the prophets are summed up. And if you want to know what God's revealed will for you is in this life love love god love people against such things there's no law against such things there's no law that says you can't love you're loving too much stop it love that's how to live a life of 
uh, a few regrets, if you live a life of love, if you were to see your whole life, you're to die and stand before God, and God were to play a video of your life, and you were to watch it, what would you want to see yourself doing in that video? As you watch your life before your eyes, would you want to see yourself acting selfishly, being unhospitable, unkind, not generous, not considerate of others? Or would you want to see yourself loving God and loving people? That's what I would want to see myself doing. And lastly here, living for God's will involves serving others with your gifts. I love this. I, I actually probably should have just preached a sermon on this little section here because there's so much here. Verse 10, it says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Peter tells us here that each one of us have a gift. We've, we've been given a, a, a talent, a gift, a spiritual gift, and we are to steward those gifts well by serving others with them, especially the body of Christ. We should serve the body of Christ with the gifts that we have. And he calls it God's very grace or God's manifold grace. There's various aspects of God's grace that has been dished out freely to all of God's people. You, you are uniquely gifted and talented. And that's not just for you to hoard. And it's not just for you to get attention and shine for yourself. It's for you to serve others and honor God with that gift. Okay? Peter breaks down the, the gifts in two different particular ways. One is speaking. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. So speaking gifts would include teaching, preaching, evangelism. Wayne Grudem says singing would be in there. If, if God's given you gifting with your mouth to communicate with your mouth, then use it. Use it. And, and, and the instruction for those who are gifted in that way, make sure that what you're saying and what you're singing are the oracles of God. Don't let it just be your opinions, okay, and your ideas. Let it be the very words of God. That is what will feed others and shape others and encourage others and build others up most, what God says, right? So if anyone speaks, let them speak the oracles of God. And we got several here within the church that have gifts around speaking. You're good at talking with others. And by the way, if you've struggled to find out how you're gifted, then I want to encourage you to just seek to love people around you, meet needs of those who are around you, okay? The way that I discovered my spiritual gifts wasn't I took a spiritual gift test and checked off the box and this is, this is it, this is what I am. I saw needs, I, was, I got, came to Christ at a church that had a lot of needs. Uh, there was a ministry that re reached out to lower income children, and I was involved in that. And it was in a rough neighborhood. There, we had a, a large community of uh, former drug addicts, those coming out of addiction. And I was there immersed in a church in a community that had lots of needs. 
And I didn't, I wasn't like, well, I'm going to take this spiritual gift test and then find out where I can help out in the church. I just saw needs and I started helping because there's this guy over here struggling with his addiction and he just needs somebody to encourage him with what God says about his addiction. I saw these kids without dads and, and I just, I, I decided I need it. I just need to help with this ministry because there's these low dozens of kids that don't have dads that don't have any direction or purpose in their life. So I'm just going to be a part of this and just serve. Uh, and then I started going into the juvenile detention center um, when, for about six years. I'd go every single and I'd bring my guitar in, and I would share my testimony, and I would preach. And I wasn't that good. I wasn't good. And I wasn't good at singing or preaching. But I had a captive audience, all right? And they appreciated it. And the hungry, the hungry souls, the hungry souls were just absorbing anything good that they could find. That they'll take what they can get. When you're starving and hungry, you'll just, you'll take what you can get. There's a proverb that talks about that. That to the hungry soul, even something bitter is sweet, right? And so I would go in there and share the gospel. And my heart was just to serve and help these young people who, who had lack of direction and purpose in their life, like I did as a young person. And as I went in there to try to serve them and bless them, God help me discover and see how I'm gifted, how I'm wired, all right? And he helped me to grow in those, those gifts. Now, Peter also describes gifts of service, whoever serves as one who serves uh, by the strength that God supplies. So they're speaking gifts and they're serving gifts. Uh, serving gifts might be like administration, um, hospitality, helps act, showing acts of mercy, uh, deacons who serve in, in the role, the office of a deacon, um, that, that is primarily a serving role office, uh, an office that, that is serving, um, not necessarily a spiritual gift. And, and the Bible, I don't think the Bible gives us an exhaustive list of gifts and talents. God's grace is multifaceted. The Bible gives us a couple lists, like in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and uh, here Peter talks about serving and speaking, but I think there's so many more. So if your gifting doesn't fit into one of the ones that the Bible mentions, that's okay. Use whatever gifts and abilities you have to serve others. Um, if, if your gifting is serving, Peter says, make sure that you're serving in the strength that God supplies. One recipe for burnout is to try to serve in your own strength. If you want to turn into a flustered Martha really quick, then serve in your own strength and do what you think you should be doing. And don't ask God about it. Just, this is what I think I should be doing. And just, and, and serve in your own strength and you'll burn yourself out. But we're called to be people who slow down and talk to God and commune with God and take our cues from him and find our strength in him. We're to abide in him. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But if you don't, you won't bear fruit. And so, so we're to gain our strength from the source, being connected to him in relationship. And that will fuel our service. Okay, I've seen many people get burnt out in serving and helping and doing good. And I think there's a couple of reasons why that happens. One is maybe they're doing the what, but they don't have the why behind the, the biblical why. 
the right motive, the right heart. Or maybe they're doing the right thing, but they're not dependent on God's resource of strength to enable them and empower them. And they're not asking them for strength to do what God's called them to do. God calls us to do things that we can't do ourselves. He, he does. He calls us to do things that we just, we can't do in and of ourselves. He calls us into places throughout scripture. You see God calling people to step into roles and do tasks that they can't accomplish in and of themselves. And so they have to pray and they have to depend on him for strength, for wisdom, for guidance. And so if you're, if you're speaking, if you're gifted in speaking, make sure you speak what God says rather than filling it with your opinions and jokes, and stories, but let God's word permeate what you say. And if you serve, serve in the strength that he supplies. When we do this, when we serve with the ability that God supplies, and we speak the oracles of God, he is glorified. God gets the glory, not us. Okay? God gets the glory, and that's the purpose of our gifting. The the grace that God has bestowed upon our life is ultimately so that we can honor him. He's given us those gifts to help others and to honor him. He's given us those gifts to do good to others, bless those around us, and to bring glory to him. And so the time past of living the way that we've lived before, our sinning in the past is enough. So it's time to live for the will of God. To love him, to love others, to give ourselves to prayer, be sober-minded, be self-controlled, know that suffering is involved, find out how we're gifted, and use those gifts to serve others. An application, I want to encourage us with just a couple things. One, keep eternity in view as you live your life. Don't just think about your appetite right now, your comfort Right now, think about eternity. Your, the decisions you're making now, how's that going to affect eternity? The way you're using your time, the words that you're speaking, the choices that you're making. Live your life with eternity in view. There is a hereafter. I, I had the opportunity this week to officiate a funeral. I was asked early in the week by a friend of Kevin's whose son uh, died, uh, 18 years old, and I didn't really... I didn't really want to to officiate a funeral this week. I didn't feel like I had the margin in my schedule to give two two chunks of two days of my time for a funeral. And so I was like, oh, I'll pray about it, Kevin. I'll get back with you. And and they, they didn't have anybody to do it. And, and and Kevin couldn't make it. So I said yes. I said yes, and, and you know, and, and in my mind, I'm, I'm going to preach on this. In my mind, I'm thinking, God, do you want me to do this? I mean, it's not about me and what I think should be done this week and, and how I should spend my time. I'm here for you. I'm here for you, God. And I said yes, and I'm so glad I did because there were hundreds of people at the viewing service and at the funeral service that I got to share the good news of the gospel with, the hope and the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many of them were not Christians. And I'm thankful that God gave me that opportunity to do His will. And that's what we're here for. That's the mindset that you and I should have. And oftentimes we have to deny ourselves, deny our comforts, deny our preferences. 
We have to choose the hard way, the difficult thing, the uncomfortable thing, the thing that feels like a little too much on our plates. But we do it in the strength that he supplies. We go and we speak his words. We don't have to carry the pressure of trying to come up with our own words. He's given us words to say. He's given us strength to serve in. So make God's will a priority in your life by prayerfully asking for his will to be done. How much of your prayer life is characterized by saying, God, your will be done. God, what do you want here? God, have your way here. I want your will to be done, not my will, but yours be done. Seek to love others around you, especially the saints, by serving them with your gifts. Is the church and those that you know around you, are they missing out on some experience of grace because you're not bringing your gift to the table because you're shy, you're insecure, or maybe you're concerned it won't be well, well received, or you don't feel like you have anything to give to those around you. That's a lie. You do. You do. God has uniquely gifted you and wired you so that you can transfer grace and love and truth into the life of others. And lastly, surrender your life to God and renew your mind with God's expressed will written in Scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we'll finish with this. Here's a key to discover and discern what God's will is for you. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There, there's where it starts. Surrender your life to him. Give him your whole life. Let him call the shots. Let Jesus take the will, as Carrie Underwood said in her song, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you really want to worship like God wants you to worship, like don't just give them your song, give them your life. And the song that flows from your heart out of your mouth should come out of a life that's being lived for him. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Peter has been saying this in his epistle. Don't be conformed. Don't let this world shape you into its mold and, and establish values for you and convictions for you and, and patterns of living for you and worldview for you. But you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good, acceptable, and perfect? Do you want to discover and discern the will of God? Here's the key right here. And when you and I do, we, we will discover that his will is good. Though it may be hard at times, it's the difficult path. It's good. It's acceptable. It's not unreasonable. It's acceptable and it's perfect. And so let's surrender to that. David said in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is written within my heart. Psalm 40, verse 8. May we be a people here at City Church who delight to do his will and have his word written in our hearts. If you would bow with me in prayer. Father, would you forgive us? where we have leaned upon our own understanding, where we have clinged with tight fists to our rights 
our preferences, our desires. I pray that your goodness and kindness would lead us this morning to open up our hands and our lives and give them to you in full surrender that you might be glorified through us and that we might experience the pleasure of doing your will. May your will be done in us. Would you move us onto your agenda and may we lay down our agendas and submit them to yours. All of our ambitions, hopes, and plans. May we surrender them now into your hands. And I pray that we would experience abundant life that I talked about in communion. That as we embrace your will for us, that we would overflow with life, with joy, with peace, with love, walking in righteousness, walking with purpose and meaning, living according to your design for us. You're our maker, not we ourselves. You're our shepherd. We thank you that though we've strayed, God, you've brought us back and you keep us securely in the fold. You know the hymn, I Surrender All. If you would just sing it with me. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Blessed Savior, I surrender all. May that be true of us, Lord. I'd like to close with a blessing from Hebrews thirteen twenty. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.